0: Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, episode 78. Thanks again for tuning in. You can tap in your app and check out the show notes to subscribe. You can follow us on social media too. On Twitter, at the Barcelona Pod or at HiltonD13. I'm Dan Hilton. He's Frances Tomas. And we want to just let you know the big news we have coming up. April the 15th, that's again this Sunday, we're having a special Patreon show, so to become a Patreon, or if you're already a Patreon, get involved in that, and if you aren't yet, you can go to our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash the Barcelona podcast, of course just Google the Barcelona podcast Patreon, it's the first page that comes up. For as little as $3, you can join our Patreon show, get involved with us, actually physically talk to us, and be a part of that show on Sunday. It's going to be a huge opportunity for us to enjoy and speak to the people who matter to this show the most, of course, the listeners and the ones helping us make new shows. And as Frances did announce earlier in the week, we also have now a closed group Facebook page, and there has been plenty of wonderful conversation happening on there, Frances, and you can even elaborate on that a little bit. Well,
1: I... Pretty much, I'm speechless as to how great the group is. Um, the engagement from the listeners has been immense. I mean, we only recorded three or four days ago, and we've got 50 members already. But it's not the number because obviously, bassavlog.com on Facebook has 700,000 followers. But the interaction is not what this group is getting. I cannot, and I'm not going to name anyone because there's too many to to thank. But the level of interaction is through the roof. I mean, people are writing huge paragraphs in order to reply to questions that the listeners are uh, publishing posts themselves it really is the best thing ever i mean i've been running social media accounts for over a decade now and this last week has been tremendous and i really don't have words to th- to, to say thank you to all the listeners for engaging there um if you are listening to this is link forward slash group tvpod.link forward slash group. We are not going to advertise this group anywhere else. So if you are listening to this and want to join it, please come and join us. If you don't want to, then that's fine. Uh, we will continue to do the podcast. and am bringing it to your ears on a bi-weekly basis. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about something we don't really want to talk about, which is the defeat in Roma and what it means moving forward. And then we're welcoming Musa Okwonga, who is a Manchester United expert who has been keeping a very close eye on Barca, and he can basically offer an outsider's perspective on what just happened. The Barcelona Podcast 78 starts right here.
0: So we're going to do, because of the nature of this show and kind of dealing with the loss, we're going to do something we've never done before, and we're going to start with La Ronda today. Usually La Ronda is the way we close the show, we have guests, but today it's just going to be we're going to have almost a fireside chat just with Frances and I where we're going to try to break this down and cope and figure this out and look towards the future after that defeat to Roma. And these questions coming directly from that Facebook group that we have, the Barcelona podcast. So these really are just you, the listeners, and we're going to go through these questions. To start things off, we're going to basically do these in topics. And the first topic is Valverde from Terry and Roman Questions are, what now for Valverde? He's done a great job stabilizing the club after Neymar and everything this summer, but is he the right man to take the club forward? That's from Terry. And Roman asks, As much as I hate to say this, our nostalgia for earlier eras has kept us relying on players that are exhausted. Anderson Yeste is likely playing his last few games with the team. Is Valverde mea culpas, or to blame for overextending players who should have been rested? Does he get another season? And my quick response to this, Frances, is that looking at recent manager trends, at least for FC Barcelona. Tito Villanova being the exception and Tata Martino being the other exception, Barca managers are usually or have been given a two- to three-year window or two- to year, three-year leash to win about as much as they can. And then after that, not only the pressure, but just time with a club of that magnitude does seem to wear on human beings. And so usually there seems to be a a mutual separation. So for me, Valverde is going to get another opportunity. And for those who want to call for his head, I don't think that this loss, which is, as again, the third straight year Barcelona have lost in the quarterfinal, the previous two, not with Valverde. So I I think he's going to get another opportunity here. I think he also deserves another opportunity, and we're going to get to what the trophies mean and all that. Again, I I don't want to answer too many questions in one response, so I think I'm just going to say that my belief is that Valverde will continue for another season, and I think he at least has earned the trust. And as long as he's given the opportunity to change, That's what it is, is that if he's not willing to change, then I think his time is done. But after a loss like that, I think he is going to be willing going into the next season and throughout the remainder of this season, he's going to have to be willing to figure out and adapt.
1: I think Valverde is definitely going to stay next season. Um, I am very disappointed about the way that he administered the team and he has been doing that for the last, I would say the last couple of months. Um, If you go back to... Even the, the the titles of our podcast is how can Valverde um, avoid total burnout? Uh, is Valverde right to be rotating? Or you know all of these questions that we've been asking, they have been going towards the same direction. We were fearing that the, the prioritizing for the unbeaten run in La Liga and you know playing the key players from the very beginning of the Copa del Rey was going to basically come back and bite us, and and it has, and it has at the worst moment, in the worst scenario, and in the most embarrassing way that I remember. I mean Barça has crashed out of the Champions League before, uh, in the last seven seasons. We cannot forget and this is probably quite an eye-opening stat. We've only made the final once in seven years. Obviously we won that one in twenty fifteen with El Tridente, but I think we cannot sort of we cannot really overlook that. Now Valverde was not the reactionary manager that we needed in Roma. Um, the, the, I think the key point came when he introduced André Gomes instead of either Dembélé or Denis Suárez or even Alcácer the moment Iniesta came up. That, that, that was very telling of how little he trusts his bench and how scared, and that is the word, I think he's scared, uh, how scared he was to actually push forward for a goal. Like Let's face it, if we had scored one goal in the Olimpico de Roma, we would be in the next round. There is no question, uh, but actually... Barca went on there to defend and we are not a club that can excel without the ball. We are made to be with the ball. That's who we are as a club. That's in our DNA. That's what we should have done. Having said that, Valverde has added a lot of solidity this season. He's added consistency. If we go back to the beginning of the year, uh, we were destroyed by Real Madrid and we were fearing the worst. Neymar had just left us and we had no alternatives to change. We had to quickly go and get Dembélé. And then the guy got injured for, you know, six, seven months. Um, We are unbeaten in La Liga, which, to be honest, I don't really care very much about that word, unbeaten. The the word that matters to me is that we are leading La Liga comfortably. Um, We are in the Copa del Rey final. It's not going to be easy against Sevilla, especially given how burnt out our players are right now. But I do think that the domestic double is a great result for a manager to achieve in his first season. Would I have loved the Champions League to be cherry on top? Of course. Am I disappointed we crash out in quarterfinals? Of course I am. And I, I am gutted. I'm actually quite angry about it. But I think what we need to understand is that winning the Champions League is not a given. It's not something that happens every season. And as disheartened as we can be right now, it is the Liga and it is the Copa, but particularly La Liga, that we need to value because the best team of the season normally wins the Domestic League and we are miles ahead in there. And that's what we need to remember. With that in mind, we need to assume that if Valverde is to stay, which I don't really see Bartomeu changing the manager at all, um, is he going to have learned from his mistakes this season going into next? And that, I think, for me, is the main key.
0: So, Francis, you both agree that he's going to stay, but both Elliot and Michael wonder if Valverde were to resign even on his own accord and we would need to replace him with somebody They want to figure out one of the best coaching options there. And they asked, Michael asked, should I say, to make a short list of two or three interesting candidates. And my thinking for this, if Valverde, again, this is hypothetical, were to resign or the board wouldn't want him anymore, in the way that Barcelona like to bring in players that know La Liga or other leagues, and I think of Rakitic, Art Vidal, I think they also look for managers who know the same thing as in the way that Valverde came from Athletic Bilbao. And so for me, managers like Marcelino at Valencia... Juan Carlos Unthue from Salta de Vigo, and Usebio, of course, who was just fired from Real Sociedad. And my thinking in the future, long term, that's why I said Valverde two to three years, is because all of these seem to be guys who would bridge the gap eventually to the the prodigal son and Xavi, who is now retiring at the end. Next month, he's retiring in Qatar and looking to get his coaching licenses now. And so I think the, the, the there seems to be in football when something looks like it's going to happen, and all all roads lead to a certain way, and the way is going to be Xavi. And he's whether or not he succeeds or fails in a few years, I think he's already on the path back to become the first team manager. So it's a matter of who is going to bridge the gap between this moment now and Xavi in the future.
1: I do expect that Valverde stays, and I really want to see him succeed. I mean, he has done a great job so far. And he has all the tools in order to learn from his mistakes and move things forward. I mean, all of the candidates you mentioned, the good managers, I don't think they improve what Valverde has brought. Kike um, Setién wasn't mentioned in your answer. I think he would be someone who aligns with the Barca philosophy quite well. But um, I think if we can get Valverde for two, three, even four seasons before Xavi comes back, um, that would be great. I mean, but I want to sort of put a bit of warning in there. Xavi not going to come back with a magic wand. You know, he... As, as talented as he is, and his football and IQ is through the roof much better than any of us talking here, um, he's not going to come back and, and make miracles. It's all going to come down, whether the board, science players who are truly aligned with the Barca philosophy and the way that we want to play, Xavi's vision is going to be incredibly aligned to uh, Cruyff and Guardiola when he comes back. I mean, that's unquestionable, but it's not just about that. It's who is going to be promoted for La Masia, how many chances are those players going to be getting and if we are going to invest heavily on sign-ins who are these people and could they actually work in a system like that and I do think that for that transition period given the first season that Valverde has had we need to give him a, a ball of confidence so that he's going to learn from the, his rotation mistakes and be a bit more demanding in terms of sign-ins so that we can excel in the short term.
0: It seems like you might be a little psychic, Frances. Knowing the next question I was going to ask from Rick, people on social media are calling for the heads of the board. And remember last summer's fiasco, of course, with Bartomeu out, and we were very critical here on the show. But to what extent does the board bear responsibility for this loss? And I blame them. Honestly, I blame them very little. and Because the way that the team recovered and responded to the Neymar debacle over the summer, that we were critical and deserved to be critical of them then, but then they reinforced with Dembele and Coutinho, who obviously couldn't play in the Champions League but again this individual loss that 90 minute game that FC Barcelona lost I don't think I can blame the board too much for that
1: probably not for the defeat in Roma but actually if you think about it Valverde hasn't been trusting his bench and if he hasn't been trusting his bench it's probably because his bench is not that great you've got Denis Suarez who is a good player but he's not gonna start at Barca I don't think ever Andre Gomes same Paulinho can do a job but then again he's not your prototypical Barca player, which, you know, sometimes he has had a little bit of difference and that has benefited. So I'm going to sort of lay Paulinho off a little bit with that. But players like Dinier, they, you know, they're not really they're not really challenging for a starting position. I mean, Vermalen has miraculously had a better season than before, but, you know, he's not of a caliber that can't start at Barca. Um, Jerry Mina hasn't really featured. Semedo was the only signing, actually, that started in Roma out of the ones this season. Dembele hasn't really proven himself yet, but then again, he's young. We can be given the benefit of the doubt. Coutinho wasn't available. I think Coutinho is a good option as well, but You know, If you've got a manager who is not promoting from La Masia, that may be because things haven't been done right there and that comes down to the board. If he doesn't trust his bench, that also could be with the lack of quality that the bench has. So I think the board does have quite a bit of blame on that, not particularly on the game of Roma, but I think the overall planning was flawed for sure.
0: Now we're going to combine that answer with two other questions moving forward. Sophia asks, when do we start relying on our youth team and second string and use them for quote unquote, easier games and forcing our first team talent to rest? I know Messi hates to rest, but he's not 20 anymore. And then a question from Mutaz: Why is it so hard to get our attacking possession tiki-taka game back? Is it coaching or personal? I feel like I haven't seen Barca attacking football all year long. And Mutaz has a good point here. You look at teams with half our talents playing beautiful football. Liverpool, who are not half our talent, and Napoli, who also, I wouldn't say half our talent, but they are playing the 4-3-3 and more of the Barcelona style than seems like Barcelona is. To first look at that first part of that is that For me and the youth team, we talked about Barcelona B all season long, and it's not that the first team is trying to integrate those players, but it's that they are fighting in a relegation battle. Their results recently have not been very good, and they now have to, for the remaining seven matches of the season... Five of them come against the top five in the Segunda division table. And it looks like the way that Barcelona B have been playing recently, that they will get relegated. And as we talked about in the, over the summer, that is very, very bad news for the continued development. And that's what we've been talking about from the start, that, that La Masia players simply just aren't being developed properly, it seems like, anymore, and ready to be put into the first team. And now we're seeing the issues with that. And particularly if this team itself isn't talented enough to... Stave off relegation, we're going to have another issue next year when they're playing in the Segunda Division B. And to me, the catalyst for all of that and the very first domino to all of this this season long term injury to Jose Arnaiz, who we saw in the Copa del Rey early on, and a long term injury as well to uh, a midfielder in Ferran. Those two, I think, Arnaiz even more so than Ferran, were the two major issues and catalysts for Barcelona B where they just could not have enough bodies and they just didn't have enough top-level starters who were ready to be continued starters. I mean, we talk about Puig or the younger guys coming from the juvenile team, but they just aren't guys who are going to make that difference just yet. Again, they're 17 years old, but for Anaith in his early 20s, he was going to probably, other than Elena, be that other best player on the team. So that's why I think they just haven't had the, the strength of depth in the B team either to be able to bring up guys. And that said, with that fourth or 3 the way that Liverpool and Napoli play, they play for that 4-3-3. Barcelona play now in a 4-4-2. That's what they do. And the reasoning there is that Barcelona was so influential during the Pep years. They won both Barcelona and Spain and they won everything. And then the rest of the world copied them. And Barcelona then were behind the eight ball because everyone else was doing the exact same thing. So Barcelona changed under Luis Enrique and they adapted to that. And maybe now we're looking at the way Liverpool succeeding and Napoli succeeding. Maybe it's time that Barcelona got a little younger, and started to do that again.
1: Well, there's two points in there that you're making. I mean, the La Masia, I think, I agree with everything that you said, basically, but um, I would think that the promotion to the first team, if it had been a little bit more real, rather than just Alanya once in the Copa del Rey and Arnaiz twice in the Copa del Rey, if you had actually been more meaningful, then you're providing, you're not basically taking players away from the B team but you're giving them the chance you're giving them exposure you're taking the ceiling off and you're actually saying guys if you perform well for the B team you are going to make it into the first team you are going to get that last level there is the step in order to basically be at the top of the spotlight and play alongside Messi, Suarez, Iniesta etc and that has not really happened I mean for what Digne has done this season you could have had Cucurella coming up if he's not going to be playing every single game, then that's fine. Just, just living in the B team and excelling there. Alanya has got more than enough quality to make substitute appearances that, say, Denis has been making, Andre Gomez has been making. That could have been a spot for him. Arnaiz, of course, unfortunately that he got injured. But there's other players. I think La Masia has to see that he's not just going up to Barca B and then everyone for themselves in order to build a career so they can go on loan somewhere. They need to see that there is a path to the first team, which at the moment is not clear. Now, talking about the tiki-taka style, I think you need to have the players that understand the system. You have to have the physicality because everyone sort of focuses on how quickly Barca were playing. But when Xavi was at his peak and Iniesta was at his peak and Busquets was sort of starting, but associating with those two and obviously everyone in front, they were very physical. You know, the the amount of kilometers that um, Xavi used to cover, that that was insane And, and they could get everywhere fast. And that is just not happening because everyone in the Barca squad right now is either 30 or nearing 30 or over 30. So there's not really youngsters that are going to take that physicality away. And of course, players like Rakitic have been doing a great job. And that's why I think he's one of, one of the stars, if not the star of the season with Messi. Um, but, you know, we need more people that can be that physical with a, a footballistic IQ that, that Rakitic has shown. And we just don't have enough depth for us to play like that. And I think that's why Valverde has had to compromise. But everything comes back down to who is in the squad, why are they in the squad, and what is the future with them, and obviously the present.
0: Well, the way Barcelona played this year, this is coming from me, as this is kind of like our our last chance for a thought here before we go to the interview, is that do you think with Rakitic and Busquets being so similar this season in the role that they play, if Barcelona want to play on the front foot and be attacking and go back to that 4-3-3 in the style of Cruyff, is there room for both Rakitic and Busquets in the starting lineup? And again, they both are starters. They both deserve to be starters. But I don't, I, I'm kind of reevaluating, rethinking now after that Roma game if there's room for both of them.
1: I think if, if Valverde had rotated the team well enough, there would have been enough um, in reserve in terms of stamina for us to play like that. I don't think that 4 4 2 is flawed in itself because obviously that changes into a 4 3 3 in attack. Um, if you've got Dembélé, which obviously should have been a start of the season, but injury didn't let him do that, he can be a third attacker moving forward. And, you know, when you do that, depending on which way the ball goes, you oscillate to the left with Jordi Alba joining, or you've got Sergio Roberto overlapping on the right. So basically, it's a 4-3-3 in attack, which effectively becomes five forwards when Roberto and Alba actually join in attack. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad idea, but you need Dembélé to be able to track back and then, Busquets and Rakitic and obviously in the other side hopefully it will be Iniesta again next season because he won't leave us <laughs> please don't leave us but it probably will be Coutinho they need to be physical enough in order to to meet the demands because say in the Roma game we got outplayed by a very physical not that much quality in that midfield but the battle from a physical perspective in terms of stamina and strength and, and desire we definitely lost that really badly and that just is unacceptable
0: Yes, that's all the time we have in La Ronda. Uh, We also want a special shout out and thanks to Danny, Mark, Jose, James, Jose, and Artharva for their questions, really good questions that we just didn't have time to get to today. So again, thank you for those questions. And again, keep them coming, particularly in that Facebook group. And again, that's tbpod.link backslash group. That's where you can get involved in what really is a closed group Barcelona podcast community, only for you, the listeners. Now time for La Entrevista from Musa Akwanga, who may be a Manchester United fan, but Frances and he were able to get into things way beyond Manchester United and, of course, talking about Barcelona. And, yes, you will have to hear something or two about somebody that you love to hate in Jose Mourinho. Let's get right to that interview.
1: Right, so we are delighted to welcome Musa Okwanga, who is an incredibly talented journalist. Obviously, he's worked for many different outlets. Um, we spent some time at ESPN SoccerNet that then became ESPN FC together. Um, he's now a poet and even a musician, incredibly talented person to have.
2: Welcome to the show, Musa, how are you today? Thank you for having me. I'm very flattered, actually. So thank you. Yeah, been looking forward to it all day and both into my friends. So, yeah, thank you. Well, Thanks brilliant. Very much.
1: Good, good, good. I've been looking forward to it as well. So let's let's get started. Um, yeah. We would like to start talking a little bit about your background, because obviously you're not necessarily a Barça fan as such but you have been a passionate football fan for years. And I know your hard lies with Man United, because obviously that's what you've been writing about for many, many years. So tell us a little bit about your background and your passion growing
2: up. Yeah, so shout out to my granddad, who actually coached the Ugandan national side for several years. Um, Yeah, back in the 60s and uh, early 70s, um, when we had a really good team back then. That was the passion. It's always been my family. A couple of my uncles um, played for the national team as well. And they're now living in the US. Um, So that's the passion came from. And you know, Man United really, my mum was a medical student at Manchester University. And so they're one of the first teams I got into watching, um, sort of, and she had that passion. So I guess I sort of took it from her. And in terms of my own personal life, uh, my professional life, I started off as a lawyer actually many years ago. And then left my job as lawyer to be a writer, to be a poet, actually. And since then, I've gone to become, as you rightly say, a poet, uh, football writer, uh, I guess, a political journalist and a musician. So it's a really nice mix. Uh, yeah, and here I am now.
1: Wow, that's that, that a mix that I'm very envious of because obviously <laughs> you seem to, be, seem to be an expert in many different fields. Um, so obviously you mentioned Manchester United in there who are yep. going through a transition period, it's safe to say, yeah. obviously achieving plenty of success in the late 90s and early 2000s with um, Sir Alex Ferguson, who obviously mm. is, is no longer then. And from that moment, you've been sort of in nowhere's land, if that's fair to say. So how has that period of transition been? Because it's been several years
2: now. Well, it's been like I mean you look at Barcelona before the Cruyff years we're kind of back there again you know and as a United fan luckily being a bit older I'm 38 so I remember life before Ferguson so this is actually it, it's not like I mean it's not as bleak as that at some points but um you know I, I've experienced the fallow periods as we would call them in football as I'm sure Barcelona fans are and you're, you're actually doing fairly well right now you know even with the recent result um So I suppose what United are experiencing right now is actually what normal big clubs experience. And I think it's important to look at Ferguson as a real anomaly. I mean, he is one of the greatest coaches of all time. And you have to enjoy those moments, what they are, but also not seek to beat yourself up too much if they don't come back again. Because, you know, Ferguson was frankly a one-off.
1: Right. I'm hearing a little bit of similarity there with Barca post Guardiola, because our fans yes. keep, keep sort of looking back and thinking, oh, we played so well and it was the most effective way. It's the only right way to play and we were so
2: successful. And look at us now. Um, yeah. How do you see that? Well, I think, to be, let's be very honest, that passing style, the Barca's style, did not fail. Xavi just got knackered. There was a game when Leverkusen, you played Leverkusen, I think away from home, I think it was 3-1, late result, uh, late goals came. And Xavi wasn't playing, and the speed of the passing dropped about 20%. Like that, to play at Barcelona's level, to play at that Guardiola level, everything has to be in sync, everyone has to be fully fit, and it's all got to flow. This is the problem that, you know, Barca have had in some of these tournaments recently, like, you know, match control. When players are getting older, not fully fit, haven't got their eye in, because when in Barca are on, it's like, a, it's like a symphony, it's the most beautiful thing any of us have seen. And I can understand Barcelona fans being nostalgic for that time because I love watching them. But, you know, Iniesta is no longer capable of doing that however many games a season. It's just not the case. Um, You haven't got the strength and depth off the bench. So I, I get the Barcelona fans bemoaning that. But at the same time, I would say, look, you know what? Guardiola and that Barcelona team was the perfect alignment of all those players who've come through the coaching system, Guardiola who knew the club, and then you sprinkle David Silva on top arguably the greatest under-pressure goal scorer Spanish football has ever seen, arguably, arguably. So, you know, there were a lot of things that came together. Um, and you need to look at history as, yes, this was a spectacular high point. But frankly, they're going to look at Guardiola's Barcelona one day, like the at ancient Egypt. It's like so, it's a transcendent period of football and you can't beat yourself up if you don't get back to that point in the next two, three years.
1: Okay, I definitely get that. And that's something that we've been talking about in the podcast throughout the year now. I want to pick your brains as a sort of an outsider, then, because that's the whole point of having you here today. Um, Do you think Barca fans should really forget about that style of football and go sort of more result based, or do you think we should be playing the right way, or
2: the Guardiola way, or the Cruyff way even, and even if we win or not? keep playing the Cruyff way because it's effective. It's effective and it works, it wins games. The problem Barcelona have is not the philosophy, it's the personnel, right? It's the personnel. So you look at the Barcelona bench, you've got Denis Suarez, Andre Gomes, you know, these players, they're good players, but they're limited either, you know, in terms of the, the mental side or the, the technical side, Paulinho, you know, these are good players, but the Barcelona level, you know, if we're talking about the Barcelona level of player, you do need players like the kind of, you know, where is the young Moussa Dembele, right? Mm. Where is where is that kind of player? You need to find them because they exist, and then you put them into the system. Um, so I wouldn't say abandon your philosophy because of, you know, a couple of bad eliminations in Champions League. Uh, look at what, look at why you've lost. Look at those losses away from home. You lose to Juve 3-0. You lose to PSG 4-0. Look at the lack of match control in the center of the pitch. Look at the lack of depth. Look at a player like, obviously, Paco Acasa, you know, who scored, what, six goals, 18 matches this season. Mm -hmm. You know, he's a good... That's not enough depth, you know? You know what I'm saying? And that puts pressure on the entire squad. Um, Look at the recruitment. Look at the fact that Dembele was brought in at the last minute. Look at the way that Coutinho came in. These players don't have a pre-season. They're ineligible. You know, what happened? The elimination of of, of Barca to Rome, which we'll get to in a second, it was really the perfect storm of a lot of problems that had been brewing for Barcelona over the course of the last year 18 months i mean what luis suarez got his first goal in champions league in a year in the first leg i mean come on Oof. you know it's the you know there's the intensity that suarez is playing at for so 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 long and the problem with that intensity is it unravels very very quickly deterioration look at shevchenko happens very very fast they're a big striker and suarez does care but it's almost like he's pushing himself and the tank is emptier than he thought it was and he almost can't believe his own body is failing him or his intensity is failing him um so i So don't abandon the philosophy, stick to the plan um, and and, and just get the right personnel in and the the results will come again.
1: That makes perfect sense. That makes perfect sense. Um, There's been something that has been sort of brewing over the last, I would say, couple of days. Um, Mm. I I think in that La Masia, which is obviously the Barca Academy, has lost importance. Um, Valverde has been the first manager in the last four or five seasons that hasn't made a single La Masia player play, even if it mm. was you know, in the sixth game in the knockout stages when we were already qualified, that didn't even happen. Luis Enrique was not a big believer either, but he you know, called up a couple of players here and there. Um, do you think we're losing the essence of who we are because of La Masia not having um, a protagonism that he used to? Or is it just that the La Masia is not producing players that are good enough? What, how do you see it?
2: Great generations are cyclical okay look at the german national team you've got some fantastic players now they're good players they're fantastic but they're not great not yet they're just very good look at france france have claire fontaine everyone's like oh my goodness france have the model what have france done you know in the intervening period now they've got a great squad of players but is the leadership there you know do they have the kind of the hard men the kind of the tough mentality to takes some extra stage i'm not sure so no matter how good your coaching system Great players, great generations are cyclical, right? That is vital to remember. Now, what I'd also say is what you can help yourself with. You know, Valverde, I'm I'm, I'm reluctant to criticise Valverde and Enrique because they're pragmatists and they won very quickly. And, you know, let's not forget Valverde's unbeaten in the league. He brought in Paulino, whose form's deteriorated, but but Paulino has, you know, he started with a great impetus and he filled a gap in the squad. And I think Valverde came in and he thought, you know, what can I fix very, very quickly? Because let's not forget, let us not forget that at the start of the season, PK was saying how he felt inferior to Real Madrid, right? Yeah. What Valverde has done this year is absolutely incredible. It is incredible. Even with this elimination, this horrible result, some could say the match control was not there. But, 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 Valverde restored Barcelona to a position they didn't they'd be in. And people can't forget that.
1: No, no, and that was really clear. We basically hit rock bottom against Real Madrid in la Super, Supercopa de España. During exactly, the season. right. Um, yeah. I remember doing a podcast, um, the Front 3 podcast, they were inviting me for that. And I was mm. talking about the expectations for the year ahead. And I did say, well, to be honest... I think we're going to challenge for the treble until the very end, which we sort of have done. I mean, I would have liked yes, to go yes, yes. a little bit yeah. longer. But they were laughing at me, and I thought, well, it's a team under transition, and I have to I have to agree. Valverde has done a great job, but I think the rotation hasn't really
2: been all that That's cool. That has killed you. But that's because he knows the depth is poor. Look, Gomez came out. How many footballers at that level come out and say, I've been struggling mentally? None. Val, Valverde <laughs> is in training every day, and he's looking at Suarez, Gomez, you know, and he's a nice dude. He's not only a pragmatist. He's a nice dude as well. He's like, I can't subject these people to this pressure. That's why all these players are having extra minutes. These players are knackered. They're off their feet. And then let's put it this way. It's the perfect storm because you've got all these players who are knackered. And then you put them up against a midfield tree like that. The most combative, aggressive, Strutman, Nangolen, like De Rossi. That's brutal. That is the most brutal examination of a team that's already exhausted from rotation, if you think about it. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, look, do you remember the, 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 uh, that amazing midfield for Juventus 2015, right? 2015 midfield in the final and you had Fidel, Marquisio, Pogba and um, who's the other dude? Uh, and Pirlo at the base. And that midfield had two of the best pressing players in European football But because Barcelona had a better depth. They had the front three that were so devastating and you know, the midfield three that were less like in sync and re- well-rested, well-rotated. They blew them away. You know, when Barca lose intensity, teams that press high, press hard, like Roma, they will overwhelm them. And that's just what happened the other night. That was the perfect storm. Rotation meets the team that will chase you for, you know, 180 minutes.
1: For sure. I agree. I agree. Um, how did you react to the game? How did you react to the result? Because we blew away a 4-1 advantage, which has never right. really happened. I mean, in living memory, going back to 20, 25 years, I don't remember anything that horrendous happening on um, an unexpected manner so how what was your reaction how do you react
2: at first i was shocked but then you no know, hindsight is very powerful because i remember thinking at the time that 4-1 is what you call a false friend it was a false result you know they made errors they hadn't made all season those defenders um and then the mid you know drossi and manou and um Mino, got uh, these horrible goals and then you look at the game uh, the start of the game in rome and Umtiti did something he's never done. Umtiti allowed Djokovic to walk through the middle of his defence. How often has Mtiti um, done that? Like, all year? Never. Like, he's not the dude. Right? It's, un, it's unthinkable. Right? It's mm. unthinkable. So all these players had their bad their bad night at the same time. Messi actually didn't have the best game in the first the leg either. So, you know, the 4-1 was a result that created a false sense, I think, of security. Um, and then, of course, you have Valverde's decision, not as, as Mohamed Butt noticed this on social media, not to hit uh, Roma or keep them at the break with pace. So not to not to sort of have pace as a threat, as an outlet. And so basically Barcelona was, set, was sitting on the ropes going, come and hit us.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think the yeah. inclusion of André Gómez when Iniesta came off is really telling because you had Dembélé that could have come on. And, you know, right. he's not the most defensive player, obviously, but he would have pinned down... Um, the defenders from coming up and he would have given them something else to worry about. Denis Suarez yeah. hasn't been brilliant all season, but he would have had no. options of that as well. Yeah. And, you know, even Alcácer would have been a different option, but no, he went for the most defensive and in a way, uh, sending a message to the players of we're losing 2 nil, but actually, as long as we don't receive any more goals, we're all right. And at Barcelona, we just not like that.
2: That's not in our DNA. We can't just defend. Right, absolutely. And I think, look, I'm very much a believer in philosophy, you look at Liverpool and Klopp and Liverpool have been rewarded for being true to themselves. This is the lesson now, like be true to yourself, play your football because if you get eliminated, that is your saving grace. You know, we went out playing our style and that sounds like a, that sounds pathetic, but I'm a a Manchester United fan and we went out against Sevilla and we didn't give it a go. And that's why the, that's why the defeat was painful. Losing in football, you know, it's, it's not ideal, but when it happens and you've given the best account of yourselves in terms of the style you play in, then that's beautiful. You know, a loss can be a beautiful thing. And the problem that you have and that we have, United, is that we did not lose in a beautiful way. And that's why I think we're ultimately most upset about it.
1: Right, so what is next for us then? What's next for Barca? Change the manager, change the board, have an election, total squad No, D. no, no,
2: no, no, no. Keep the manager, keep the manager. Okay. Um, don't forget, Coutinho hasn't had a pre-season. That's vital. That's going to be a big deal for you. Um, get more investment at the centre midfielder. You need a centre midfielder, no question. Um, at least one. You need one, you need one premier centre midfielder and then one kind of backup centre midfielder. And you do need, unfortunately, you need to make a big signing as a striker. You need a nine at some point. I don't know if it's this year or next year, but you need number nine because Alcacer is not going to cut it, and Suarez is—you know—it's crazy because he's got what, like Suarez has, what twenty or almost thirty goals this year.
1: For sure, for sure.
2: But 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 Suarez is not what Suarez was, and that's going to hurt you because even the goals he's getting, yes, he's scoring a lot, but he's not scoring the vital goals in games, and he's really struggling to. I mean, he's, he's finishing, unfortunately. I don't want to be look—he's been a great player for so long. But his finishing is not as reliable as it once was, and I think someone like that needs a threat, actually, for me, uh, is to galvanise.
1: For me, is what you're saying, but also the fact that he's not really challenged, you know, because Paco Alcácer he's not I, really an alternative. No, exactly, I
2: mean, exactly. It's a, it's a challenge, and he responds to that, and he needs someone to shake that up. So, it really, Gr- does Griezmann? Ooh, Griezmann is interesting because do you know what's worried about Griezmann? He's not a pure nine, as far as I can see. He's more of a false nine. I just worry. Do you know what it is? I worry with a player like Griezmann. Because he's not imposing, because he moves. I mean, it was almost like his his strength is his weakness. His strength is he can go all across the line. He's not a conventional number nine figure. But he's not. If you get Griezmann as one of your strikers, you almost become this kind of counter-punching team. And for me, Barcelona plays on the front foot. That's them. They play on the front foot. They're high up there. They're in the fire at all the time and they're imposing. They're just more physical. And look, I actually think a player like they're going to hate me this for saying this, but Harry Kane is the ideal acquisition for you nice. guys. Nice. He nice is team. the, but Harry Kane is the player that would solve simultaneously. So many problems for, for Barcelona his extraordinary player. would give messy pockets of space to operate in. Dembele goes off the shoulder because Kane is a very good playmaker. Actually. Um, and would just fit seamlessly into that style, whether on the break, whether playing in the final third, in terms of like, you know, touch playing around the box, left foot, right foot, he's a complete forward. So for me, Kane is the player. Right. Your other concern is then the midfield, actually. Um, Coutinho will do some bit to address that. But, you know, and I think you also need someone at left back to threaten Jordi Alba. I think you need that too. I think you need a bit of that too. I, I, I just think that a team of Barcelona's resources Needs, you know, it's like United—a little bit more depth to stop players, just to get rid of that complacency. I think, and
1: that's the key word, complacency, because no one's going to challenge Jordi Alba's start in place. Dine has been decent but then decent doesn't really cut it, particularly in the last third of the season when mm, that does actually really matter. Musa, I feel like I've gone to the doctors a little bit with you.
2: <laughs> it's, <laughs> no, it, it's, it's, a, definitely, it's a pleasure.
1: Yeah, it's definitely what we needed. I mean, you've given us the recipe to, to move forward and basically get over the disappointment that we had, um, obviously earlier in the week. Uh, <laughs> where, where can our listeners find your knowledge and your wisdom
2: online? Well, it's very kind of you to call it that. Um, actually, if I can mention two things uh, if you are interested in my work at all uh my twitter is probably the best thing so my surname is my twitter handle spelled o-k-w-o-n-g-a uh anything else i'd like to say um i've got a new band actually called bbxo uh you can find us on spotify our first single is called hard road to travel um so yeah um please check out those couple of things uh if you're interested at all and also yeah just keep up the um the great football you know iniesta is one of my heroes i was at the new camp uh, last season to watch you beat valencia 4-2 um and it was an absolute joy and i went expecting to be blown away by neymar suarez and messi but as anyone that watched that game knows iniesta stole the show um so i've always got a sort of special place in my heart for don andres and a lot of the other guys so yeah thank you for entertaining me and i hope you have a Much better luck in the big trophy uh, next season.
1: Well, likewise to Man United, but not in Europe, because we are going to go back and win it next time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Listeners, uh, if you tap on your app right now, uh, Musa's details are in there, and obviously the band that he just referred to, you can also access it through the show notes. Musa, thank you very much. Have a great evening. My absolute pleasure.
0: So, Frances, podcast number 78. We had to talk about Jose Mourinho in the interview, and we had to talk about getting knocked out of the Champions League probably our saddest and most negative episode yet but we're gonna move on and next week Frances, i can't say anything yet but you at least can say that we've got some big things coming
1: we've got an enormous guest coming on in the next one um and obviously we've got all our patrons who are also enormous not in size because obviously that would be disrespectful to say i'm not going to say that but they are incredibly important they support the show but we also have a very 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 special guest And I cannot wait to share that with you. You have to come back and find out.
0: So thanks for listening to the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Forza, Barça. Forza.